Then I said, Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice? You who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skins and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. This is what the Lord says. Oh, sorry. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against every, anyone who refuses to feed them. Therefore, night will come over you without visions, and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets, and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed, and the diviners disgraced. They will all cover their face, because there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare. To declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bride, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell functions for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, "Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field.、Uh, Jerusalem will become a heap of, of rubble. The temple hill among overgrown has、uh, with thickets." Thanks so much. Well, it's great to be with you tonight, and a great privilege to be preaching. It'd be very helpful if you got your news sheet, which looks rather like this.、Uh, on the second page, there's the sermon outline, which tells you how long I'm going to preach. Well, it means you can work out how long I'm going to preach.、Uh, on the third page is the reading from Micah we've just had, and on the fourth page, the back page, are some other Bible verses that I'll be referring to during the sermon. So,、uh, please make good use of this、uh, as I preach. Well, the message of Micah chapter three is embrace justice, do not despise it. And I picked up the words embrace justice from verse one. You can see it. On the, the right-hand side, there should you not embrace justice, and I picked up the words "do not despise it" from verse nine. You rulers of Israel who despise justice. So I think the message of the chapter is: embrace justice, do not despise it. But just before we get into focusing on the text. Of the words from Micah chapter three,、uh, some things to remember. In Old Testament times, 
God's people were a nation like other nations. But in New Testament times and today, God's people are a church and not a nation. The Christian church is not one nation among other nations. There are Christians and churches in many, many nations. And this means that uh, we should apply God's words to his people in the Old Testament, firstly and primarily to the church today, not to other nations. Because the church... God's people in the New Testament inherits all the promises and the warnings that were given to God's people in the Old Testament. Now, there is also some application we can make from these prophecies to nations, but this has to be done very carefully. So, the Christian church today throughout the world is not a nation, though In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter quotes words of the Old Testament, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. But we're now not a nation like the nations of the world, we're a special people who are members of many, many nations. In the words from Revelation, uh, people gathered praising the slain and standing lamb, are from every tribe and every nation and every language and every people. Now, if you want Bible teaching how nations should behave, you can look at Amos chapter 1 for how not to behave during wartime. You can look at Revelation chapter 18 to learn how not to behave during peacetime and Romans 13 for the ongoing duty of governments to punish evildoers and reward those who do right. So we should rightly apply the Bible message to Christian people and not to nations or governments. We shouldn't try and make nations do all that God expects of his own people. Now, this is a really important issue in contemporary society for what lots of Christians are doing around the world is trying to make their nation function as a Christian nation. But that's not appropriate because the nation is a secular or a a nation of another religion We can't impose Christian values on it. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, If I'd been uh, a member of the government of Australia, when legislation came forward to legalise prostitution or legalise brothels, I would have had to think very carefully about that, wouldn't I? Because I don't think brothels I don't think being a sex worker is a good way of living. But I might well think that having uh, sex work and brothels legalised provides better protection for sex workers. So I might vote for it, though I don't like the idea of brothels or sex workers. 
But if at the annual meeting of St Jude's a motion was put forward to legalise brothels in St Jude's, I'd probably vote against it. That's a joke, by the way. It's not, it's not going to happen. And if it did happen, I would vote against it. So what I'm saying is, we can't apply what the Bible says to nations and expect them to operate and function at that level. That's why Paul keeps on saying uh, in his letters, not among you. So let these things not be found among you, though they will be found in the world. So that's just a warning and an encouragement about how to read the Old Testament and apply it to the church today, but also to nations. Secondly, Micah speaks God's words to communal sins, shared sins of nation and church, not to individuals. So when you read through Malachi, you might ask the inevitable question, which we automatically ask, well, what does this say to me? But actually, the better question to ask is, what does this say to us as a group of people? Otherwise, we'll take on a burden that we can't carry and we'll miss the importance of the message. So, let's imagine we're not in Micah, but in the New Testament in 1 John, where John, uh, John's message is that we have to love one another. But that's a message not to individuals so much as to the church as a body of people. He's saying that loving one another must be a characteristic of this community found in every relationship. So if I hear a sermon on loving one another and I'm sitting in my seat thinking, well, I'm doing quite well at that. I'm trying to do it. That's not good enough. I have to be praying for every believer in the church to love every other believer in the church. Don't I? Because the command is, everybody, love everybody. So it's actually more demanding to realise that the application is to the whole church, not just to the individual. And as a matter of fact, most New Testament letters are written to churches, not individuals. And if you want to see how Christ addresses churches, look at Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Next point. Uh, judgment brings consequences, but it's very important to recognise that the warnings given in the prophet Micah are effective warnings. So if you look over the page, you'll find a quotation from Jeremiah chapter 26, which refers back to the words we've just had, heard read from Micah chapter 3. Some of the elders of the land stepped forward and said to the entire assembly of people, Micah of Moresheth, and that's, that's the one whose prophecy we're reading, prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah. He told all the people of Judah, this is what the Lord Almighty says, and then he quotes from uh, chapter 3, Zion will be ploughed like a field, Jerusalem will become a heap of stubble, the temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. But here's uh, 
they're looking, looking back 130 years later and saying, did not Hezekiah the king fear the Lord and seek his favour? And did not the Lord relent so that he did not bring the disaster he pronounced against them? So how remarkable that this prophecy of Micah worked. That is, God used the prophet to change the king's mind and the mind of the people and so God did not bring about the judgment he warns about at that time. So how wonderful thing to think that God's word achieved repentance among the people of God. And so God relented and uh, did not bring the disaster he pronounced against them. Well, let's look at uh, the verses in Micah chapter 3. And uh, the way it's set out uh, helpfully in the news sheet is to show you the link between the warnings and the judgment. I said, listen you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice, you who hate good and love evil. And then there's a very gross and embarrassing description of what they do, which sounds a bit like a recipe for some kind of stew, but is actually metaphorical language, symbolic language, saying this is how they treat the people of the church, the people of the nation of Israel, who tear the skin from my people and flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin, break their bones in pieces, chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. It's just a dreadful description of what corrupt leaders do to their people. But if you look at uh, societies in human history and some nations today, you can see exactly this is what's happening. That the rulers are using the people for their own benefit. They're misusing the people for their own benefit. Uh, What will the judgment be? Then they, verse 4, the leaders and rulers that is, will cry out to the Lord but he will not answer them. At that time he'll hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. That's to the leaders, the rulers of God's people. What about the prophets? The prophets were meant to be telling the people words from God. But what false prophets do is tell their own impressions, their own feelings, their own convictions, or they just express what the society says, but don't speak God's words. But these prophets are uh, even more despicable because these prophets speak for the highest bidder. If people pay them, they give them a good message. If people won't pay them, they give them a bad message. Isn't that dreadful? Prophets who are meant to speak the word of God are selling themselves and their money for ministry. What is the judgment? Verses 6 and 7, Therefore night will come over you without visions and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. Their seers will be ashamed, the diviners disgraced. They'll all cover their faces because there is no answer 
from God. But how wonderful then to read in all this darkness the great shaft of light in verse 8. For God, in his kindness and mercy, has brought Micah, the true prophet, who now speaks. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgressions, to Israel his sin. So God not only gave Micah the words, he gave him the power to speak those words to the people and they repented. Now one of the features of modern life is that fools reject warnings but wise people accept rebukes. I was talking to a couple in church this morning who've just arrived in Melbourne and they said we're even using the trams. They've come from somewhere in the outbush, outback somewhere, Newcastle I think it was, anyway. (laughs) um, They said we're using the trams. Well, I, I said there's a very important sign around Melbourne which I would urge you to take notice of it says, give way to trams. And every time I think, see that notice, whether I'm driving my car or walking or riding my bike, I think, that is very good advice. Taking a tram on, as a pedestrian, you're unlikely to win. As a cyclist, you're likely to use, lose your cycle, bicycle, and as a car driver, you're probably going to get dented and the car will get dented as well, I suspect. So, very good advice. When in doubt, give way to trams. But I find that uh, among Christians in Australia, uh, we're often reluctant to accept warnings from other believers. So, uh, a few years ago... I think five years ago, I warned two of my friends, Christians, Christian ministers in fact, that they were drinking too much. I don't mean too much water, but too much alcohol. Well, that ended one friendship, I'm sorry to say, and the other friend took, took about three years to recover. But actually, it was, a, it was a sign of love and care, wasn't it? If somebody's drinking too much, then it's better to warn them and say... This is not good for you. You should stop doing this. Well, fools reject warnings, as we read in Proverbs, but wise people accept rebukes, and wise churches accept rebukes, and wise nations accept rebukes. I hope you're going to be wise people. Verses Uh, 8 to 12. The leaders, priests and prophets, you despise justice. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right. If you despise justice, you will distort all that is right. 
who built Zion, another name for Jerusalem, with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. And then listen to this list in verse 11. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. That's a desperate situation, isn't it? Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be ploughed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. Now, please notice the, the message of the chapter is embrace justice, do not despise it. Notice that there's no neutral territory between embracing justice and therefore and despising it. That is, you have to do one or the other. You either embrace it or you despise it. It's a bit like democracy, isn't it? Democracy is not something you believe in, it's something you have to do. That is, you have to think about the issues at an election and you should talk about them with your friends and get information so you know the best way to vote. Democracy is not something you kind of watch from afar and think, well, I believe in it. You actually, you have to be active in participating in democracy. So it is with justice. You can't just step, sit back and say, well, I am not being unjust. No, you have to embrace justice, pursue it, do it, fight for it, pray for it, work for it, or you will be despising it. What does it mean to work for justice in the church and in Christian organisations? Churches are unjust when some people have influence and others do not. Churches are unjust when men are listened to and women are not listened to. Churches are unjust when the old-timers control what is happening in the church. Churches are unjust when they're racist. And churches are unjust when they favour one group of people in the church and not another. Churches are unjust when a church uses resources which it should share with other churches or contributes to other churches. So when I was a minister here at St Jude's, a question I used to ponder regularly was, uh, uh, we're putting a lot of resources into our church and our ministry. Is there uh, an adequate output of ministry to justify all these resources. There's injustice in churches when some people work too hard for the church and others don't work hard enough. There's injustice in churches when some people contribute generously and others are disorganised or stingy. There's injustice in a church when the church exists for its own internal life we like being together, and does not equip its people to serve in the wider community or does not pay its gospel debt to the community and to the world. And there's injustice in churches and Christian organisations when people employed by them 
have low standards of or conditions of employment or payment. So I was in uh, Perth uh, in April this year uh, teaching at a Bible college, theological college, and uh, one of the students said to me, I'd like to have a coffee and ask you some questions. That was fine. He said, I'm looking for a job, I'm looking at a job in a church. And as he talked about the job, I said, now, uh, what are the terms and conditions? He said, there are no terms and conditions. I said, what is the contract? He said, there is no contract. I said, to whom would you be accountable? He said, I don't know. I said, don't go there. Because if there's no justice in employment, then you'll be used up and spat out at the other end. Jesus accused the Pharisees of neglecting justice, mercy and faithfulness. Oh, gracious God, where there is injustice in churches and Christian organisations in Australia, please root it out. And where there is injustice in churches and Christian organisations around the world, please root it out and make your people embrace justice and not despise it. Or we might think of working for justice in our nation and in our world. This is how we speak, what values we commend, what values we work for, how we influence public opinion. This is how we speak against the great injustices of our world, uh, racism, corrupt governments, the refugee issue, the care of the environment, uh, corrupt and tyrannical leaders who misuse the people whom they're meant to care for. At home, here in Australia, our sins are many, I think, the sins of our nation. Uh, rulers who uh, commission reports and then don't act on them. The growing gap between the rich and the poor in Australia. Our historic treatment of indigenous people. Our attitude to refugees our problem with alcohol, which is a national problem as well as an individual problem. There are many injustices in our nation and in our world. And we should be protesting against injustice, not standing silent. We should love our neighbour by embracing and pursuing justice for there is no love without justice. Injustice is hate, not love. Embrace justice and do not despise it. Now, the trouble is there is so much injustice in the world if you look carefully that it becomes an intolerable burden and we're paralysed by the extent of injustice. I think a good thing to remember is that God is working for justice in the world, 
and our efforts are just are trying to be in tune with and uh, fit into what God is doing. And the second is a piece of practical advice. Please don't take on all the world's injustices. Please choose one or two and research them and lobby, people, lobby politicians on those ones. Get informed about them, speak about them to your friends, try and convince people to do something about them. If you try and take on every injustice, you'll just exhaust yourself. But you have a duty to work for justice. So find an issue which really grabs you, feels really important, and please work for that. Dear Father, please show us how we should embrace justice in our world and walk, work for it with you. And please make our efforts and our, here answer our prayers and help us make a good difference to our world. But we also need to recognise that we don't often think of facing God's justice. We more, more often evaluate what we'll do by approval from other people rather than what will please God. And we actually are more controlled by fear of human rejection than we are controlled by God's perfect judgment. So, words from 2 Corinthians 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So, death is no escape from personal responsibility. Death is no escape from personal responsibility to God. Because after death, we will face the judgment seat of Christ. Whereas we tend to think, if I can get away with it, I will. Well, we may fool people, but we can't fool God. And I must admit that there are some sins I don't commit only because I know I'm going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that sobers my mind and changes my actions. For our lives matter for eternity. What we do now matters for eternity. What we don't do now matters for eternity. We matter for eternity. After judge, after death, we'll all face the judgment seat of Christ. Dear God, please bring about in our world and in our churches and in our own hearts an awareness that we are eternally accountable to you and will one day appear before the judgment seat of Christ. May this bring order and shape and beauty and honesty and purity and justice to our lives in Jesus' name. But the reality is we may not find justice in this world. Cassius Turvey was killed what does justice mean for him? 
no court can bring him back to life. What does justice mean for his family? And yet as we think about it, billions of people in our world today face injustice every day. Not enough food to eat. Not enough water to drink. Famine, oppression, disaster. Every, every refugee is a victim of injustice. And one sober reality is that you will suffer unjustly one day, even if you haven't up till now. Everyone will suffer some kind of injustice. We should fight injustice, but if we don't get it, then we should follow the example of the Lord Jesus. 1 Peter 2. Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly, that is, to God. Jesus suffered unjustly when he went to the cross, but he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Heavenly Father, we pray for victims of injustice in the world today. We pray that you would bring them the best justice they can find in this world. But we pray for those who suffer injustice and who are in danger of being bitter for the rest of their lives. Please rescue them by drawing them to be followers of the Lord Jesus who trusted himself to you our just God. But perhaps my talk about the judgment seat of Christ has frightened you. Well, we're called to embrace justice. But if we have lived unjustly, we can embrace the forgiveness of Christ for our sins we can embrace Christ, our Saviour. The thief who was crucified next to Jesus had lived an unjust life. He was a criminal, but when about to die, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And listen to Jesus' reply, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Isn't that amazing? To forgive the man just like that. And not just a distant forgiveness, but today you'll be with me, Jesus says, in paradise. Gracious God, when we begin to fear your judgment and the judgment seat of Christ, help us to turn to Jesus to embrace his forgiveness, his free forgiveness, and to embrace Jesus as our Saviour. Dear friends, I urge you, I beg you, I entreat you in the life of this church, embrace justice and do not despise it. In the life of your community, your work, your studies, the place you live, embrace justice, do not despise it. In this nation or your nation, embrace justice and do not despise it. In this world, 
embrace justice and do not despise it. And may God, the just judge of all people and all nations, bring his justice to this world and enable us to embrace justice and follow it as we follow the Lord Jesus, our Saviour and Lord. Amen.